And on the clock you can see that we have come to eternity. So this will be the conclusion of our studies and our doctrine course known as the God's Clock Course. I realize that uh, many of these messages have probably been more informational than inspirational, but we want to know what we believe. And so as you look at the clock, we have begun at the beginning with creation, and then sin follows. Then God sent His only Son as a man to this earth to show us how to live and then to die at 4 o'clock in the atonement. But then the glorious resurrection, and that's a part of our study this morning for eternity because we are going to be resurrected. Then God's call, His external call through the preaching of the gospel, His internal call to touch our hearts, to show us our need to respond and have our sins forgiven. And then at 7 o'clock, we get in on the act again with conversion, uh, placing our faith in Christ. And then God justifies us. It's a legal standing that He gives us that we are no longer guilty. And not only not guilty, but clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And then the process of sanctification as we run the race empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Last time we talked about perseverance, uh, two, two Sundays ago, then the return of Christ, and now we have come to eternity. So we begin this morning with a question that is on your study guide, and the question is, what is the final word on eternity? Now we know what happens to a person after death. His body goes to the grave and decays, but the person that was inside the package goes to heaven. If he's a believer, his spirit is with Christ in heaven. To be absent from the body, Paul tells us, is to be present with the Lord. So the true you down inside goes to heaven. However, that's not the end of things. When everything is finished, here on this earth, something is coming next. It's not just all over, done, annihilation, as some people would think. If that were true, then Satan would have succeeded in gaining the victory because he spoiled our universe through sin and brought a curse upon the earth, and we live under that curse. The curse may be partially lifted if you're willing to commit your life to Christ and live for Him. But one day, the curse will be completely lifted. And that's what we want to think about this morning, the victory. When we realize the victory, we realize it in part now, but one day we'll see the complete victory where God comes back to make everything as it should be. So what is the final word? Before we look in the Scripture, let me read from Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. And he quotes Herman Bevink, a Reformed Dutch theologian from the turn of the century, the 19th century. According to Scripture, the present world will neither continue forever, nor will it be destroyed and replaced by a totally new one. Instead, it will be cleansed of sin and recreated, reborn, renewed, made whole. While the kingdom of God is first planted spiritually in human hearts, the future blessedness is not to be spiritualized. Biblical hope, rooted in incarnation and resurrection, 
is creational. This worldly, visible, physical, bodily hope. The rebirth of human beings is completed in the glorious rebirth of all creation. The new Jerusalem, whose architect and builder is God himself. Now before we begin with the PowerPoint, open your Bible with me to John chapter 11 as we get the final word on eternity. John chapter 11. We'll look at verses 25 and 26, but let me give you the setting. Lazarus has died. Jesus has delayed after having received the word that Lazarus was sick. But now Jesus has come late. And Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, yeah, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. And then verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, that's very important, her response. She wasn't just saying, yes, I believe that your name is Jesus and I believe God sent you or I even believe that uh, you are the Son of God. She says, I believe that you are the Christ, the promised one who was going to come to die for all the sins of all of the people and to eliminate the sacrificial system so that we don't have to offer a little lamb any longer. The lamb of God has been offered. She understood that this was the fulfillment of God's plan. But now what does it mean when he says that he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live? And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It sounds like he's contradicting himself. Well, we understand that for the Christian, he's going to die physically on this earth. His body is going to die, but yet he will live again. He will live with Christ in heaven. And then the next verse, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, he will never die the second death. We may die physically on this earth, but then we may die eternally if we do not know Christ. So the believer, for the believer, there is a day coming when his spirit will be reunited with a new resurrection body on a new resurrected earth. And that's what we want to consider this morning as we look at eternity. That's not a Halloween face there. That just uh, pictures what God is doing beyond the scope of our experience here on earth. And God is preparing for two final states. In fact, the preparations have already been made. Matthew 25:46. Jesus said to them, Then they will go away to eternal punishment. That is a terrible statement. Where does it come from? If you look in Matthew 25, the people say, Lord, 
when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison and we did not minister to you? And Jesus will answer them and say, Truly, I say to you, if you did not do it unto one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Then, from the same passage, Jesus speaking said, But the righteous to eternal life. Now, Jesus says just the opposite to the righteous. You did see me hungry and in need and without clothing, and you did it unto one of the least of these, and in so doing, you did it unto me. It almost sounds like works salvation, doesn't it? Because he has the sheep, and he's dividing them from the goats, and he's saying the one thing to one group based on what they didn't do, and the other to the other group based on what they did. Well, we have studied back in justification and in several points along the way that no one can work his way to heaven. There's nothing we can do to take care of this blemished record of sin that we have. Christ does it all. We can accept what he has done for us. But then if I am a true believer... What am I going to be doing? What will my lifestyle resemble? I will be doing the work of Christ here on this earth. I will be the voice of Christ. I will be the hands and the feet of Christ. And I'll be seeking to help people who are in need, brothers and sisters in Christ and other people as well, in hopes that they would see the purpose for which we're here, to share the love of God with others. By means of what event does every human being enter into one of these two states? Notice it says every human being. Every human being who ever lived upon the face of the earth. Acts 24.15. Paul is in the Sanhedrin and he is uh, using what he's saying to kind of get them divided against one another, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to get him out of there. But he says, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that will be the Pharisees, and that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Now the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They just weren't scheduled for the resurrection because they had rejected Christ. So we're going to see that there has to be something in order for the message to ring true in our hearts. Not only did they reject the message, they rejected the messenger and finally crucified him. Resurrection, some to eternal life, some to eternal punishment. Let's consider life in these two states. Now I would recognize that this would be a very unpopular message that would not be given in many churches. But the Bible has a lot to say about the eternal state of man in one place or the other. And it's our responsibility to be the means by which God is going to give that message to other people as we share the gospel. Philippians 3, and beginning with verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Transform our lowly bodies. Now that Greek word that is translated transform is metakema schizo. And metakema schizo comes from two words, meta, which means change, and schematizo, which means form. And that comes from schema, talking about the shape or the outward form. So the word means to transform the outward form or the appearance of something. Metatema schizo would be applicable to your deciding that you would change your rose garden into a vegetable garden. It's still a garden, but you have changed the form of things. And we might contrast that with the other Greek word, metamorphuo, and that would be reflected by your deciding to change your rose garden into a golf putting green, like a caterpillar is changed into a butterfly, metamorphuo. So the word that Paul uses here to say that our bodies will be transformed is that word schizo, And that means that our bodies are going to not turn into some science fiction superhero transformer, but our bodies are still going to be us. But they are going to be changed in form. Now, we don't know a lot about what that will look like or what age you will be or those kinds of things, but God will take care of that. Our bodies will be transformed. What is transformation? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What does this change involve? We are told some things that we can know for sure. Continuing in that same passage or a few verses previous to that, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. And we'll see more about what that means. The body then will not have the capability of wearing out and giving up and perishing. What else? 1 Corinthians 14, 43. It is sown in honor. It is raised in glory. What is glory? Glory is the essence of God. His splendor, His majesty, all of those attributes that we've been studying with Mark Brzezlowski in our first light hour, that is what glory is. That's the glory of God, but what is the glory of man? God created man to reflect His glory. And then Adam fell and sin came in. But God is going to recreate man to reflect that original glory with which Adam was created. So it's a wonderful future that we have to look forward to And I suspect it's going to be something like we saw life in the Garden of Eden before the fall. 
Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to be, that we're all just going to be in a big garden. The Bible talks about the new Jerusalem, the holy city. But as far as we're concerned as people, uh, we're going to be transformed outwardly. We'll be the same person down inside. And we will be glorified, and that will bring God glory as He wins the victory in this universe. Everything will be renewed, and it will bring Him great glory. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Did you ever wake up in the morning and just feel weak? Like you just were going to have trouble getting out of bed and doing the responsibilities that you had for the day? That will be gone, and that will be gone for eternity. There never will be that feeling again. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 15:44, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now, Christ's spiritual body, you remember, could do things like just come through the wall into the room, but he also could eat as he was eating with the disciples there one morning. So it's not some science fiction body. Transformation is a total change that will result in durability. Your body will be imperishable. You'll have a new reputation. At least your body will. You will be glorified. You will be perfect. You'll have a new ability, power. For one good thing, when you go to heaven, the desire for sin will be no longer. And in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more mourning or sickness or crying or pain or hatred or fear or crime or any of that sort of thing. It will be a new order of things. Your mode of existence will be changed. It will be a spiritual body. Why is this transformation necessary? Again, from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The body is transformed. Now we're looking at the other side of the equation, eternal punishment. In the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, multitudes who sleep, that is, they're dead, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now some would say, well, resurrection is kind of a New Testament concept. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. But here it is. It's not mentioned much but it's also talked about in the book of Job. Your translation may say many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, as if a lot of them are going to awake and then some of them are not going to awake. But this uh, multitudes would probably be a better translation. Everybody is going to awake, and it will be a great multitude of people, as you can imagine. What is contempt? Let's find out. They awake to others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's a dishonor that is the opposite of glory. It's a state of imperfection, incompleteness, loss of potential for pleasing and serving God. 
It refers to that which is repulsive and the object of aversion. It's something that you just can't stand. It is detestable, is what that word means. That word is used in Isaiah 66, 24. It's not used much, but it is used here. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. And the word loathsome is our word contempt. That word is not used, but in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet describes the same kind of thing. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. And my, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their honor will never be forgotten. So whereas the body of the just will be transformed, the body of those who do not know Christ will be made contemptible. John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. But then verse 25, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and, now has, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You remember the graves were opened as Christ was on the cross and some people came forth at that time. But the time is coming when everyone who is in the grave will hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who know him will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. To live, what does that mean, to live? Well, it means existence. You're here. You have a physical life. The Bible tells us in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. We're all living in this sanctuary this morning to praise the Lord. But there is going to be a fullness of life that is much greater than what we're experiencing on this fine September morning. Life may be pretty good right now, but this is going to be far better than anything we could conceive of. So we live, we are alive, we would say, in Christ. But on the other hand, in John 5, verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Condemned, crisis, comes from crino. It means to judge. And to be condemned means that you have been judged. Sentence is pronounced. The accused is guilty, and he stands condemned and will be subject to eternal separation from all that is good, including God. The King James Bible calls that damnation. So whereas the body, the, the Christian person will live, the person who does not know Christ will be condemned. Condemned. 
Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, blessed are the dead who live in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Did you ever need any quiet and tranquility and refreshment? And you just needed to kind of sit down and take it easy and kind of get rejuvenated to go back out into the work and the whatever you were doing. Well, this is going to be eternal rest. The sense of when you are really rested, it doesn't mean we're not going to be doing anything, but there will be eternal rest for those who have eternal life. The body's transformed. We live eternally. We have rest. But now in Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night. That is a terrible verse. Do you ever read these verses and think about people on this earth that you see that will experience this? What a sobering thought. Instead of rest, no rest. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Being with the Lord, what does that mean? Moses said to God, now show me your glory in Exodus 33. In the book of Job, we see he prays to God and finds favor with him. He sees God's face and shouts for joy. We know what that's talking about because a couple of verses later in verse 28, he says, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit. Then in Psalms, and I in righteousness will see your face, says the psalmist. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. When he awakes into this new creation. In John chapter 17, Christ is praying, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And that is what will happen. We will be with God and behold His glory. Here's a good quote from Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Everything will be glorified, even nature itself. And that seems to me to be the biblical teaching about the eternal state, that what we call heaven is life in this perfect world as God intended humanity to live it. When He put Adam in paradise at the beginning, Adam fell. And all fell with him. But men and women are meant to live in the body and will live in a glorified body, in a glorified world, and God will be with them. What a glorious time. So we will be with the Lord, but you can guess what is going down below. Second Thessalonians 1 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. 
So instead of being with the Lord, they will be shut out from the Lord. Imagine being shut out from everything that is good and everything that is what we would call moral and ethical and kind and loving and all the fruit of the Spirit, nothing that even vaguely resembles that shut out from the Lord. The worst words you can ever hear. If you're here this morning and you're not sure about whether you're going to hear these words or not, this will be the day to get it taken care of. Matthew 25:41. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's difficult. But the best words that you could ever hear. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This was not an afterthought with the Lord. He has everything in His plan, and it is going to work out exactly the way He has planned and the way He tells us in Scripture. So what are the implications of that for us? We want to use the analogy of a garden. And if you are a Christian, I dare say you'll have a Christian lifestyle. I don't think a Christian lives a non-Christian lifestyle. Oh, he might stumble into some backsliding or get into some serious trouble. But at some point, if the Spirit is there, the Spirit will bring conviction. A non-Christian may look like he's living a Christian lifestyle. But be careful. Many will come to Christ on that judgment day and say, Lord, we did all these good things. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because man looks on the outward appearance and he may look pretty good to us. But God looks on the heart and he knows the condition of our hearts. What do we need first to grow a Christian lifestyle? Now, if you've done your study guide, you know the answer to that. But if you didn't do your study guide, I bet you couldn't guess what would be the answer to that question. What do we need first? Well, we need Christ, but in a sense, there's something that we need even before we come to Christ. What is it? Good soil. Matthew 13, 8, And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. How is soil important to our resurrection? If the seed is planted on the hard surface near the road, it's not going to be resurrected. If the seed is planted on rocky soil, if the seed is planted among thorns, it may look like a resurrection, but then it withers away when trials come and the worries and pleasures of this life. You've got to have some good soil if you're going to participate later in the resurrection. You might say, well, I I don't know if I've got good soil or not. Well, go to work on it. Cultivate your soil. Search the Scripture. Pray to God. Cry out to Him to do a work in your heart. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ is the hope of our resurrection. And when we hear that, 
If our soil has been prepared, it will be the good soil. And the gospel seed is planted, and then it grows to fruition, and we're going to look at some of these fruits. Now, we're not covering everything, but we're looking at some important things. Acts 24, 15, and 16. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to do what? Do you see what Paul is saying? I have hope of the resurrection. Therefore, I am propping my feet up, put it in cruise control. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't even have to go to church. It doesn't in here that says you have to go to church. I did say forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And maybe there's some day when you just want to be alone with the Lord, a day of rest. But what does Paul say? He says, I will keep my conscience clear. Is that something easy to do? When you come to church, should you get your conscience soothed or should you get it awakened and irritated? I'd say we want to wake them up. Wake up my conscience. You ever heard anybody say, let your conscience be your guide. Be careful with that one. Depends on what state your conscience is in. We want an awareness of sin. We don't want a feeling of self-satisfaction. Keep my conscience clear. Here's another plant sprouting up. Romans 6 and beginning in verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. You're not under the indictment of the law, that you've broken the law, now you get eternal punishment. We have been set free through Christ. That doesn't mean I just become lawless. Well, we had to invent a word for this one, dethrone sin. Get sin and self off the throne in your heart and get Christ on the throne. Another one, 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Therefore, my dear brothers... Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of God, the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And again, we are working for the Lord, but we're not working for salvation. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. If I'm a Christian... Certain things are going to be coming out of my life in relationship to other people and as I serve God. That's the way I serve God is to help other people. And then Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. 
be careful if you're just praying through the Scripture and you come to this verse. Be careful with this one. I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection. That's the good part. And the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this and have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Press on. Do you remember our action verbs back in sanctification? And then we had some in perseverance. Press on. I'm not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm running this race marked out for me with perseverance. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, you've heard some people say, oh, this guy is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Well, be careful with that one. He might be tuned in to things above. Now, we do live on this earth, and there are many things that would draw our attention on this earth. And that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy things that are on this earth our interaction with other people, the beauties of creation, all kinds of things that God has given us richly to enjoy. But where is my real treasure? My heart is set on things above. Either it is or it is not. If I have the good soil and the hope of the resurrection, my heart will be set above in some sense of the focus of my attention. Hebrews 11.35, our last one. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. I'm not sure exactly what that means except that martyrs are going to be honored in the resurrection. I'm not signing up for the team, but did you realize that we live in a little bubble in history? I'm talking about we here in Fredericksburg, San Antonio, Texas. Many, many Christians have suffered persecution all throughout history. And many more will likely suffer persecution. So that last flower that's coming up is suffering. Now, this is not everything. But if you have the good soil, if you have the hope of the resurrection, if Christ is there, you'll be working on keeping a clear conscience, getting sin off the throne in your life. You may slip in sin sometime, but you're not out there playing in the mud puddle or right next to it seeing how close you can get without getting dirty. You're getting rid of sin. You're working for the Lord in some sense. It might be in your own family, in your own home. It might be helping others as you get older and able to do this sort of thing. You are pressing on, running that race that's marked out for you. Your heart is set on things above, and you suffer. 
Not all suffering is persecution of the enemy coming through the back doors of the church. There are many types of suffering. But Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he understands our suffering, and we can turn to him in those times. So we conclude with the final word, the final word on eternity, and it's just where we began. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will he, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord, for many of us, perhaps um, most of us, we believed this a long time ago. But we pray that our lives would reflect the good soil in which the seed was planted. Lord, we want to do everything we can in the days that we have left upon this earth to promote your kingdom, to encourage other people, and to be a living example of these fruits of the Spirit that you've promised would grow up out of our lives if the Spirit is present. Lord, we ask for your grace in our lives. I pray for those here this morning who might see that uh, there is not a clear conscience and that some of these other qualities are not present in their lives at this time. Perhaps it means a period of backsliding. Perhaps they have never truly come to you in repentance and saving faith. Whatever it might be, we know that you hold out your arms to us to say whosoever will may come. And we thank you that you touch our hearts through your Spirit to help us see our need. I would ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be working in our hearts even now. Show us the areas of weakness that we have. Show us the things that we ought to be doing that perhaps we are not doing. And help us through the power of Christ to be a living testimony of your grace so that others might be interested, so that others might see your love shining through us. Lord, you've told us that we are the light of the world. We should be the salt of the earth. And we ask that we might shine brightly as individuals, as families, as a group of people in this church, in this community, and out into the world. We thank you for this message that we heard this morning of your light down in Peru. And Lord, we pray this morning for Andrew Martin as he shines your light in Cambodia. Father, help us to know and see what we can do to go or to pray or to give money and financial support or to just uh, be aware of the needs for prayer and other things which we might help out. Uh, we ask you, Lord, that we might be true believers who are involved in your kingdom's work. As we come to a time of prayer now, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and that you would lay upon our hearts the things about which we need to pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.